just jumping in really quickly at the start of today's episode to tell you about some upcoming opportunities to see us live in the flesh. And you can see us live at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival 2024. We are doing three live podcasts on Sundays at 3.30 at Basement Comedy Club, April 7, 14 and 21. You can get tickets at dogoonpod.com. Matt, you're also doing some shows around the country. That's right. I'm doing shows with Saren Jaimana, who's been on the show before. We're going to be in Perth in January, Adelaide in February, Melbourne through the festival in April and then Brisbane after that. I'm also doing Who Knew It's in Perth and Adelaide. Uh, details for all that stuff at mattstewartcomedy.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dave, 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 have you Larry Mark? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Do Go On. My name is Dave. If you just heard of the brand new theme song there, you are listening to a podcast with myself. I am Dave Warnicky. I'm here with Jess Perkins, one of the lovely singers we just heard from. Hello, Jess. Hello, Dave. How are you? I am very good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. And you, Matt, over there. How are you? We're also oh. here with you. Oh, mate. Don't even get me started about how good I am. Oh, Matt in the hat. Are you? Is it good? <laughs> I'm wearing a hat. You are. I'm sitting on a chair. What else do you want in your life? Honestly, that's the top two things I've yeah. always wanted. I'm sitting on a chair, but I don't have a hat. So I'm halfway there to happiness. That's yeah, good. Yeah, me too. Great. One day we hope to be as happy as you, Matt. <laughs> Can you tell that we are recording this during the comedy festival? We're all a little bit delirious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, um, so it's a three and a half week festival and my show's nearly done. But I got a, an email uh, yesterday from the comedy festival that says like, hey, everyone doing a show, well done on the first week. And I was like, it's only been a week. Oh, my God. There's like two more to go. Two more to go. Let's all hang in there, everybody. But uh, the podcasts never stop. They never no. stop. No. Party don't stop. Party. Party podcast. Party pod. Podcast pod. Party no, pod. Nothing will Party stop pod. us, aside from the odd technical issue. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you haven't heard the show before, this is where we uh, take it in terms to research a topic and report back to the other two. And it is my turn to talk the talk today. Which is great because... Always my favourite. Yeah, me too. Dave's my favourite. Yeah, Dave's my favourite. Did you just admit to Matt that out of the two other people on the show that he's not your favourite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm only talking in terms of the report. Like, just personally, personally, Matt's my favourite. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant as well. Jess is definitely my favourite person. (laughs) I just like your reports better, Dave. See, because the, then it means Matt and I get to hang out and just yeah. dick around, which we love to Catch do. up a bit. This is, well, this is good news for, for me and my, my ego and both of you because we're, you're each a favourite and I'm also a favourite, so I don't feel offended. Yeah, okay. But then when it comes to me... Yeah, who's your favourite? Who's my favourite? Because what if my favourite reporter is also my favourite friend? Oh. Is it though? Is it? You are... Uh, that's right, you're in luck because my favourite reports are also mine. Yay! So, and I'm also, I also love hanging out with me, so... Yeah. <laughs> It's everyone's favourite. I'm the fave. 
I am the podcast fave. <laughs> Quote me. The Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce is definitely her favourite member of Destiny's Child. Yeah, big yeah, job. she's everyone's favourite And I'm member. Michelle. And Michelle knows that Beyonce is Beyonce's favourite, but he's okay with it. And I'm the other one. Wait, no, I'm not Michelle. I'm Kelly. You're Michelle. Yeah, oh. you're the other one, Matt. That, M- Michelle Williams. Oh, the other one's got a name, though. That's cool. So people know the other one's name. Michelle Williams. Michelle yeah. Williams. I know that name. <laughs> Probably because you told me in a previous podcast. Right. I think this is the third time we've brought up this. Uh, and we, sort of and we haven't done reference. a topic on them. Like We haven't done a report on them. Fine. Next week Next I'll week. do Destiny's <laughs> Childs. But I'm not doing Destiny's Children this week. I am, uh, I'm doing a, a, a... I've got a report here and um, we often start with a question. Mm-hmm. And to get us in, we'll go ambiguous and we'll see if we can get it and then we'll go a little bit tighter in on... We'll close in on the, the topic. But uh, who would you say is the most famous literary character... Of all time. Literary character. Literary so, character. like, it's a... This is obviously an opinion-based one. Christ. Because <laughs> yeah. Bible's the biggest selling book of all time. Yeah. That's true. All right, so it's not a... a big part I say that it's no one biblical. Okay. okay. Literary uh, character. Harry Potter. No. James uh, Bond. Older? Ooh. Older than James Bond. Um, Spot, Spot the dog. The dog. Who is younger than James Bond? Younger? younger. Oh, you mean oh, in age. Oh, you mean in age. <laughs> I see. Yes. No, no, in terms of creation. <laughs> I'll create. What Spot the Dog was written after the James Bond series? I believe so. Eric Hill was the character. Spot the Dog creator. I just assume they were from the, like, the 1600s. Now, I assume when you say most famous. <laughs> Spot the Dog's 500 years old. I thought so, yeah. I thought it was like Canterbury Tales sort of time, time frame. All right, what's, an, well, what's another. Well, when you say literary character, for some reason, I'm assuming like. Sherlock Holmes. It is Sherlock oh, Holmes. God, well God, done. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, my goodness. And I just looked up Spot the Dog, first published in 1980. There you go. Um, so I was going to say I'm assuming a series. So right, you were yeah. correct there. Ah, uh, you... Wow. You keep... Have you thought about this one Yes. Too? Have you really? I feel like we're just the same person. You it are is. the same person. That's so good. I love Sherlock Holmes. You love Sherlock Holmes? I'm a big fan. So... So, all right. I was just going to ask if you ever read or seen... Mm-hmm. Ma- I've never adaptation. read. I've seen one of the ones with... Uh, the guy who plays Iron Man, Charlie Sheen Jr., Jr., Robert Downey Jr. Charlie Sheen Jr. Charlie Sheen Jr. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Matt's been broken by his own slipper. Matt, your show hasn't even started the comedy festivals. I don't know what your excuse is over there. (laughs) Charlie Sheen Jr. I mean, they're they're sort of similar. No, they're not. Okay. (laughs) Well, they've both been bad boys in the time, but uh, Charlie Sheen hasn't bounced back the way that Robert Downey has. That's true. Good point. Definitely not. So, I'll be, all right, so you, you've seen the movie, perhaps? That movie? I've seen that movie, yeah. Him and his sidekick, which I'm not going to have a stab at. Jude Law. He's a very good Watson. I quite like Jude Law as Watson. But I've also watched Sherlock with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, which oh, is fantastic. Yes. I've heard that's very good. Oh, it's brilliant. Brilliant series. And there's a Lucy Liu one as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called sure. Elementary. What's that Elementary? Yeah. It's not as good. I don't mind it, but it's not as good. I haven't seen the Lucy Liu one. But um, do you know much about... So have you read any of the, the short stories? Yeah, the... I did as a kid, which is strange. Did you ever have... um? What was it called? Uh, oh, shit. It was like this program that was outside of school 
uh, after school care. No, it wasn't. It was like a it was a special day thing. Like you could get your teachers would select you to go off to this. Was it called Gateways? Thank you, Gateways. Oh Did my god, we are the same person. Did you go to I, Gateways? I went to Gateways, but uh, because I was very uh, good at math. I was going to say you would have been in the maths one. I was always the English one because I'm shit at maths, but very good at English. I was as a kid. I so I, I don't want to blow your mind here, Matt. But Gateways is for gifted children. Yeah. Ah, so it's kind is that of, why I've never heard of it? Yes, yeah. that is definitely why. <laughs> that is why. So yeah, I did one that was a, a Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes kind of themed one when I was about grade five. Oh, what happened in the gateways there? I just remember um, we looked at one of the Sherlock Holmes stories, The Hand of the Baskervilles in particular. So I, I remember a bit about that one. Um, and that was also adapted to the Sherlock series. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Okay, this is Very great. Well, do you know much about uh, the, the creator of Sherlock Holmes? Uh, no, not a lot. Not a lot. Because I, I will say that Sherlock Holmes features heavily in this, this segment. I'm more focusing on... Uh, do you know the name of the writer? I'm going to know it as soon as you say Sir it. Arthur Conan Thank Doyle. You. Shit, that's so embarrassing that I couldn't uh, who, who led a very interesting life and often overshadowed by his biggest creation. So I'm going to focus on uh, the life of Conan Doyle and we're going to come back to Sherlock Holmes. On this report that I'm calling Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. You know what? Pretty good. That's a pretty good title. That's a pretty good title. I'm very excited about this. You know what's a great title? And that is uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's full name, which is uh, Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle. Oh, Iggy. shit. Yeah, you two what? with your shitty middle name, James. I know. Fuck off. Uh, Ignatius all the way. That is way better. Way better. Ignatius. Well, Conan is also just his middle name. He just added that professionally when he became an adult. So his name's just Arthur Doyle. He's actually Arthur Doyle. So uh, throughout school, he was Arthur Doyle. And then he added the Conan. Which I like. I like the Conan Doyle. Yeah, it's, oh, it's much it's catchier, isn't it? Arthur ACD. Doyle. Conan Doyle. I, I enjoy that. Have you guys seen this movie called um, Shanghai Nights? It's with Owen Wilson. And ja- Jackie Chan. And Jackie Chan. <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, I have. I watched it on uh, YouTube. That's how good a quality this movie is. Because <laughs> it, it, it's actually got um, the origin story of... Um, um, what's this thing we're talking Sherlock about? Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. It's got it in there because there's this guy, um, character called Artie Doyle in it. And oh, he, really? They, they did one of those. And he's like the, um, he's like a detective. He's like from Scotland Yard, and he he has this interesting way of solving crimes. You know, by like he's just he's able to figure it out off different clues and stuff. Really think his way through it, and he's figured out this new way of solving crimes. And then during the movie, Owen Wilson uh, uses a fake name because he's pretending he's royalty or something, and he sees a th- some words on on a like a fire extinguisher or something that says Sherlock Holmes. So he uses that as his pretend name. And then at the end of the movie, Artie um, decides to quit the police force. He says, "I think I'm going to start writing some books. Mm. I hope you don't mind if I use your name, Sherlock Holmes." Nice. At turn, the end of the movie. Does he turn to the camera? <laughs> Basically winks at the camera. And then there's... Um, How recently did you watch this film? Because your recall is fantastic. It is amazing. Oh, I watched it like three weeks ago. Were well, they we trying go. to open it up for a, a, a third movie? I, is that well, what they were doing? I don't... Uh, yeah, that's right. The next one is just about... It's Well, the next one was Sherlock Holmes with... Um, with Charlie, Charlie Sheen. Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> of course. The one that we all remember. But they also... Like, that wasn't enough for them. They also had this little kid who was sort of like... He was a bit of a, a, a scamp, and he sort of stole from Owen Wilson early in the movie. Um, and then later on, they were going to Hollywood, and they said to him, you could come along, but it's no place for a boy like you, Charlie Chaplin. And then he like <laughs> he stowed away on their horse and cart and in the back, and then he, he, sort of, he peeked out so you, the audience could see, and he'd got a little bit of um, soot 
on his upper lip to look like a Charlie Chaplin mustache. And that man went on to be Adolf Hitler. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't say that exactly, but you know, I think you get the, that's yeah, it's implied. The subtext of such a deep mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. film. So is that the kind? Of the, I mean, I hope I don't want to steal your thunder. Is that going to be a lot of what you're? you're Absolutely talk about? not. <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle was in no way a police officer. Really? No. Oh, that's weird. So they took a little bit of poetic creative license. Oh dear. Well, you could call it creative. You could call it poetic. Could I call it a? Fairly shitty movie. There you go. <laughs> All right, so uh, we've got Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle. What a name was born on May the 22nd, 1859 in Edinburgh, Scotland. Scotland. So he's, he's Scottish. There you go. Scotland Yard. No. Nope. Is that where he was born? <laughs> Not in the yard. Or no. well, he could have been born. There's no details of his okay. birth. So that hasn't specifically <laughs> ruled out. So well, let's just assume that that's... <laughs> anything I don't say, assume that's the truth. Okay. Uh, the Doyles, his family, were a prosperous Irish Catholic family. Uh, Charles Altamont Doyle, Arthur's father, was, according to Conan Doyle's official website, ArthurConanDoyle.com, was, quote, a chronic alcoholic, was a moderately successful artist who, apart from fathering a brilliant son, never accomplished anything oh, of note. Oh, that's a bit brutal. Feel the 150-year-old burn, Charles. What a smackdown. Absolute smackdown. But that, that's kind of like everyone Right, like no one really achieves anything of note. No, they? but I did read somewhere else on the uh, on the web that he used to steal uh, money from his kids to like pocket money to drink, and then if he couldn't afford alcohol, he would drink varnish and another quote stumble around on the floor. So he doesn't sound like a great. Where else do you stumble around? On? I, I feel like though, if you're yeah, gonna, if the you're, floor was mentioned. If you're gonna be a good, a, a very famous writer. You should have an alcoholic father. Yeah, okay. Like, remember we talked about Mary Poppins and her dad was a was a chronic alcoholic as well? Yeah, he yeah. loved Varnish. Not he loved it. Mary Poppins well, herself, but... I know, but I forgot her name. P.L. Travis. Oh, P.L. Pant, old Pants Lady. Yeah. Pants, pants Lady Travis. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make that joke at the time, did we? I don't think so. That's very funny. That's very good. <laughs> uh, at the age of 22, Charles the Alcoholic guy, he had married Mary Foley, who was only 17, and that's Arthur's mother. Ooh. She was a gifted storyteller and often read to him growing up, and he thought that was a big influence on him becoming a writer later on. However, it wasn't an easy childhood, as for them there was little money in their family, and uh, even less harmony on account of his father's excessive and erratic behaviour, probably induced by the varnish. Excessive behaviour. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm behaving excessively. <laughs> Could you behave a little less, please? It's a little too much behaviour over there. Thank you. It's a seven-year-old telling their dad to calm down. All right, Dad. But uh, after Arthur reached his ninth birthday, the wealthy members of his family, sort of his uncles, stepped in and offered to pay for his studies. Arthur didn't want to leave his family and was reportedly in tears all the way to England, where he spent seven years in a Jesuit boarding school. Oh. So there you go. But he loathed the bigotry surrounding his studies and rebelled at corporal punishments, which at the time were particularly brutal, that were uh, dished out to uh, kids that were acting up, and he was not into it at all. Uh, during it's those weird. Years, that is That's weird. so weird. So weird. He's an oddball. <laughs> what a character. And it gets worse with this sentence. During those gruelling years, Arthur only seemed to have two moments of happiness. One oh. was, was when, he wrote, when he wrote letters to his mother... It was a regular habit that lasted for the rest of her life. Mummy's boy. He wrote over 1,500 letters to his mother. Jesus. Which is quite a lot. Imagine, though, if he lived in this day and age where you can text and call. Oh. He'd be one of those guys constantly on the phone so to his mummy. Oh, Excuse no, me. thank Excuse you. Excuse me, I've got to take this call. Hello, mum. Yeah. Yes, I'm doing well. 
Uh, he also practiced sports. He was very good at sports, mainly cricket, at which he was also very talented. Uh, he discovered that he was also a gifted storyteller and would tell our stories to entertain younger students. He'd have big crowds gather around him and he would sort of make stories up on the spot. Huh, what's that like? Telling stories to crowds of people. Well, I, I Matt, Matt, Matt and I wouldn't know, but you would. So there you go. To crowds. Yeah, bloody, what did you have? 300 last night? All right, Jess. No right, big Jess. deal. All right, Jess. All right. <laughs> uh, he graduated in 1876 at the age of 17 and decided to add uh, Conan to his full name. So that's when he started being Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, but his first task as an adult was to sign his alcoholic father's commitment papers to the asylum because he'd drunk himself into uh, such oh. disarray and illness that he had to spend the rest of his life in a, an oh. asylum. First thing I did as an adult is uh, register to vote and get my driver's license. Oh, there you go. I'm yet to sign over my father to an asylum, but, you know, there's hope. What's his uh, varnish drinking habit like? Not as bad as it's... Not uh, as bad. Not yet. <laughs> not as bad as you would assume. Yeah. That's what you would say. Because <laughs> you are a very good writer. <laughs> You are, but Matt, and you said before that you thought he might have been a, a detective. Do you, Jess, do you have any idea what, what career he actually followed before um, he was around? An actor. Well, that's the only other... I mean, he was an no. actor in the movie. Um, no, I don't know. Well, Arthur decided to pursue... Jim's a- mowing. Yeah, let's actually... Let, let us have a guess. Can we have a clue and then some guess? We'll guess. I like guessing games. Well, I don't want to... I'm trying to think okay, of a clue. Okay, can't give not, a clue. Okay. That's not too... Give a, give a, I wanted to say he was some sort of a, spy, but I'm thinking of no, Ian Fleming. Factory worker. <laughs> Very respected job. Okay. Banker. Banker. Not a banker. Respected. That's PL. Law? Thing. No. No, not lawyer. Um, oh, you, you said respected. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Cop that. Certainly wasn't an accountant then. <laughs> Fuck him. Oh, man. I can't believe you brought that up in front of yourself. <laughs> um, respected. A teacher. No. Doctor. Doctor. He really? was pursuing a medical career. Ooh. That's right. Uh, this decision was influenced by uh, Dr. Brian Charles Waller, a young lodger his mother had taken in to make ends meet. That kind of makes sense because um, a lot of Sherlock Holmes's, uh, like, the clues that he picks up on are kind of right. scientific and... Scientific and chemistry. And, chemistry, and yeah. isn't the other guy a doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watson's a doctor. Is he a medical doctor? Yes. Yes. Or has he got like a doctorate in podcasts like you were going to get? He is a medical doctor. He's a real doctor, unlike I was going to be. Uh, so Dr. Waller had uh, the guy that lived with his mother for a bit, had trained at the University of Edinburgh, and this is where Arthur was sent to carry out his medical studies. So he's moved back to Scotland, now he's studying. Uh, the young medical student met a number of future world-famous Scottish authors who were also at the uni at the time, and he was friends with uh, J.M. Barry, oh. author of Peter Pan, mm-hmm. and Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So they're all... Probably the three most famous Scottish authors of their day all hanging out at the same uni. As soon as you said Robert Louis Stevenson, I'm going to regret saying this. Like I sung it in my head and then I was like, what song is that from? And then I sang the rest of it and it's from a tripod song. Oh, that's... Why is Robert that a regret? Robert Louis Stevenson and Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. <clears throat> See, well, Edgar Allan Poe was a big influence on Sir Arthur Conan there Doyle. There His early writing. A couple of years into his studies at the age of 19, Arthur decided to try his pen at writing a short story. So he'd always been good at telling these stories, but he'd never written anything down before. The result, entitled The Mystery of Sasala Valley, was uh, actually heavily compared to Edgar Allan Poe at the time. It was accepted into an Edinburgh magazine called Chambers Journal, and uh, he's published one other story that year. So it's sort of a slow start, but he's got a... His first sort of but professional first writing job. Was, yeah, was his first go at writing was published and yeah. well received. That's good. It's real good. And uh, he was also a big uh, adventurer. And when he was 20 years old, in, in his third year of medical studies, he uh, had a chance 
uh, for adventure that knocked on his door. He was offered the post of a ship's surgeon on the Hope, which is a whale, which was a whaling boat about to leave for the Arctic Circle. For some reason, I didn't put together whaling like the animal. I put it together like ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> we really need a surgeon. Everyone's really sick. Uh, uh. Sorry. She whales. <laughs> that boat. She whales. She whales. <laughs> Uh, so this uh, this boat went to the shores of Greenland, where the crew uh, pro- proceeded to hunt for seals. The young medical student. It's Doyle- funny because when Dave said <laughs> seals, <laughs> I was thinking like you know in Tupperware or something, hunting for the things that keep <laughs> keep that keeps freshness in. You know that like seals. That's what I was thinking. Isn't that funny? I'm going to regret saying that. <laughs> Yes, you are, because uh, the, the next sentence was, the young medical student was appalled by the brutality of the exercise hunting for these plastic seals. Was that your Jess Perkins impression? That was not a good one. No. I'm pretty good. Oh, like, I, generally speaking, am a great mimic, but <laughs> I was a little off that time. I'm going to regret saying this. <laughs> it's really fun to talk like that. <laughs> It's fun uh, being me, baby. I'll ask you. <laughs> I'll ask you not to, because otherwise the listener will tr- have trouble yeah. differentiating yeah. between the two of you. I, I'm, I was watching the words come out of your mouth, and I was thinking, "What is this trickery?" <laughs> it's clearly Jess Perkins' voice. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep that down. Uh, but apart from the brutality of the seal hunting, he really enjoyed the camaraderie on board the ship and. Uh, the whale hunt and everything, all this life at sea sort of fascinated him. And uh, he he was later quoted, he said, I went on board the whaler, a big straggling youth, but I came off a powerful, well-grown man. Oh, okay. So he felt like the Arctic had, another quote, awakened the soul of a born wanderer. <laughs> That's so wanky. Awakened the soul of a born wanderer. That's him. Hmm. But uh, adventure was a big, adventure and travel was a big part of his life throughout the rest of his days. Uh, but he returned to his studies in 1880 at the age of 21. He obtained his Bachelor of Medicine and Master of Surgery degree, which is uh, like four years and you become a, a surgeon in those days. It's pretty good. It's not like that anymore. No, it's like 15 years. Yeah. And uh, on the occasion of getting his Bachelor of Medicine, he drew a humorous sketch of himself receiving his diploma with the caption, Licensed to Kill. Ah, oh. Bond. Bond. Bond, like 70 years before Bond. Pre-Bond. Pre-Bonding. Pre-Bondage. Hmm. That's when you, uh, you get the moisturizer out. Is that pre-Bondage? Make sure your skin is all supple uh, before you get the bondage happening. Hey, guys, time for some bondage. Well, let's get the pre-Bondage happening. Come Pass on. me the... Uh, let's get the moisturizer get out. The uh, Salvaline. Is that a thing? <laughs> Salvaline, that doesn't sound like a real thing. So, Salvaline sounds like something that Doyle's dad would drink. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds petrol-based. Yeah, well, that's... Solvaline. Solvaline. Solvaline, you know what I mean. No, that's Valvoline. That's Valvoline. what I'm thinking of. Valvoline. You think you have Sorbaline? Sorbaline. Mixed with uh, Vaseline. Vaseline, yeah, yeah. That's what you use before eye bondage. Um, Vas. I don't know what you go. Pass me the Vaso. Pass me the Vaso and the Sorbo. That's what I say. About to get some Bondo on. Someone said to me, pass me the sorbet. I'd imagine that they uh, talking about sorbet. Sorbet. No, that's, sor- that's totally different. Pass me the sorbo, bae. That's what I say before I bond. Bondage. Which one's bondage? Is that the one where you get tied up? Tied up. Oh, yeah. What, what was the option? What was the other thing going through your mind? Um, I thought it was maybe the thing where you get um, like uh, whipped. <laughs> What's that one? 
Was that S&M? S&M. <laughs> Symphony in Metallica. No. Correct. All right. Uh, continuing his adventuring, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's first employment once graduating uni was a, as a medical officer on a steamboat called the Mayumba. Boop, boop. That's the steamboat impression. That was really good. Thank you. It's a battered old vessel navigating between Liverpool and the west coast of Africa. So he's adventuring again, but uh, he did not like Africa as much as the Arctic. And when he returned, he decided, that's enough for me. He started his own practice in Portsmouth. He rented a house, but he was only able to f- uh, afford to furnish the two rooms his patients would see. So they'd come in and it would look really nice. But then behind that, it was a completely empty house. Aww. But he was uh, compassionate and hardworking in his early days. So that by the end of his third year, his practice started to gain him a comfortable income. Oh, good. So he was making good money as a doctor. And uh, during the next years, the young man divided his time between trying to be a good doctor and struggling to become a recognised author. So he had a taste of being published, and he really wants to uh, pursue that as well. In August of 1885, he married a young woman called uh, Louisa Hawkins. Louisa, or Tui, as she was nicknamed. Tui. 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 Don't hate it. Don't hate it? Don't hate it. And you know I love nicknames. Yeah. Where do you reckon that comes from, Jess? Louisa. Uh, I guess it's probably not from her name. It's probably like some drunken party story. She drinks Tilly's Red. That's what it is. <laughs> Good on it. You reckon that's what it is? Yeah, it's is that where you're going? Yeah, yeah, Classic yeah. English 18s. I thought it might have been that she like had two of everything. Old Tui over Old there. Old Tui. She always travels in pairs. Or maybe she's only a two out of ten. Oh, or two that's out of five. Probably it. Oh, that's better. That's twice slightly, as good. <laughs> slightly better. That's a four out of ten. Now. Yeah. What if she's a two out of two? Oh. oh, that's re- now you're getting a really good territory. <laughs> that's, which is a ten out of ten. Yeah. Ah, you are, you are which good at maths. No wonder you got in the pathways. One hundred out of one hundred gateways. Gateways, sorry. The gateway to pathways success. is like a Christian thing, I think. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if that was secretly a Christian thing that we were yeah, doing. Yeah, probably. As well. we, did you go to a Catholic school? No, did uh, you? Yeah, I did. I was thinking maybe it was some sort of Catholic. They thing. sneak you in that way. Anyway, he married with Louisa. the fun of maths. <laughs> they get you in the back door. <laughs> To tempt you with the devil's numbers. <laughs> oh, imagine maths. It served me well. <laughs> Tui was the sister of one of his patients that he had failed to save. Oh, Jesus. Oh. So he married her. Oh, far out. Yeah, it's bad. I know. That's, that's taken your guilt Fresh. to another level. Mm. And he did feel guilty that he was not able to save her brother. Brutal. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, instead of going on a honeymoon with his young wife, he went on a tour of Ireland with the uh, Stonyhurst Wanderers, the school's old boys cricket team. So there you go. Sure. So, hey, look, I'll, I'll marry you and look after you, but I'm not going on honeymoon. I'm going on a boys trip. Yeah. To Ireland. Uh, four years later, Arthur and uh, Tui had their first child, Mary, and in 1892, their second child, Arthur. Wasn't his mother's name Mary? I think you're thinking of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> She was Mary, named, I'm after, about named, Jesus. named after his mother. That's, that's right. Nice. And then they had another child called uh, Arthur, who was nicknamed uh, Kingsley. Aww. Oh, what? Because it's like Arthur Junior. Yes, so they, they gave, gave him a different name. Kingsley. That's a bit cute. Better just... name for a dog than a child. But... Why not just name him Kingsley? Yeah, that's a good point, Dave. Look, I'm not the man, the myth, the, myth, the legend that is Arthur Conan Doyle. Good point. That is a very good that point. Very I hadn't point. considered that. I'm sorry, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, in March 1886, at the age of 27, Conan Doyle started writing the novel which catapulted him to fame. At first, it was named A Tangled Skine, S-K-E-I-N, and the two main characters were going to be called Sheridan Hope, Yuck. Sherlock Holmes, and uh, Ormond Sacker. Horrible. <laughs> 
for Dr. John Watson. <laughs> that does sound like a, that's random. That's a random letter yeah, jumble. That's a, uh, Tui, think of a word. Saka. Perfect. It's in. It's in. <laughs> I love you. Uh, but Tui, it took, took a couple of years, but I love you. <laughs> You're so good to me. God, I love you. Tui, I'm sorry you, I killed your brother. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I went on the, that cricket team. Wait, I said too much. I'm sorry I didn't save your brother. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Shit. Anyway, a cup of tea? All right, I'll get it. You sit, you sit down. You look comfy. Anyway, love you. <laughs> Uh, t- it took two years, but two years later, this novel was published in Beaton's Christmas Annual, which is a sort of a magazine type thing. That's where a bunch of stuff was published in those days in serialised form, under the title "A Study in Scarlet," which uh, introduces to the immortal, now named Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson. So that was the first time they he went with those names the first time. He's Do- an immortal, is he? Like a vampire? I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if there is fan fiction where he is a vampire. Did you know that? Who? Sherlock or... Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. ...is immortal? They've just said the immortal Sherlock Holmes. Well, we're still talking about 130 years later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Doyle was paid £25, or about 5000 US dollars in 2015 money, for all the rights to the story. But Conan Doyle wasn't... He wasn't even that impressed with his own work. He much preferred his next novel, Micah Clark. which... Have you heard of that? No. Which, though well-received, is now almost forgotten. There yeah. you go. Uh, this marked the start of a serious dichotomy in the author's life. There was Sherlock Holmes, who very quickly became world-famous in, in stories this author considered, at best, commercial. And there are a number of serious historical novels, poems and plays, and even uh, sort of non-fiction stuff, for which he expected to be recognised as a serious author, mm. but no one ever cared about as much as Sherlock Holmes. Uh, so Holmes, the first Holmes story, we'll say, was well-received, but it didn't make him that famous... Straight off the bat. That was nearly it for the character. He wasn't going to write another story. But in August of 1889, a guy called Joseph Marshall Stoddart, who's a managing editor of a successful magazine uh, in Philadelphia, he came to London to organise a British edition of his magazine. He wanted some local writers to write for the magazine. He invited uh, Conan Doyle for dinner in London at the elegant Langham Hotel, which was later mentioned in a lot of Sherlock Holmes novels. Uh, the other writer he invited to the dinner party was the already famous Oscar Wilde. Ooh, I've heard of him. Heard of Oscar Wilde? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Physically, the men could not have been more opposite. Oscar Wilde appeared to be a, a, a quote, languorous dandy. So he was a, a big guy. Whereas Conan Doyle, another quote, this is from his direct his website, which I'd be pissed if this said this 130 years after I'd... This has happened to me. In spite of his best suit, looked somewhat like a walrus in Sunday clothes. Sweet Jesus! You just—you didn't have to mention his looks. He's got like well, if you see photos of him, he's got a big walrus, walrus-style mustache. Oh, that's all right then. Uh, so, despite being very opposite men, though Arthur and uh, Oscar Wilde got on very famously, and as a result of this dinner, Stoddart, the magazine guy, commissioned Doyle to write another Sherlock Holmes story, and he got Wilde to write his only novel, *The Picture of Dorian Gray*, oh. which is a very famous work. So, this dinner was very significant to nineteenth-century literature. Uh, the next uh, book that Holmes was featured in was called *The Sign of Four, and elevated the popularity of the character. So now it's becoming world famous. In spite of his literary success, uh, his medical practice, which was flourishing and doing quite well, and a harmonious family life with his kids, Doyle was very restless. So he decided, because he always wants a bit of adventure, he decided to move to Vienna, where he wanted to become an ophthalmologist. Oh, yeah. We've all, you know, we've all been there. <laughs> that that like, classic I mean, midlife crisis. Yeah, I, I had it early. I had it in my teens. I'm like, I went ophthalmology mad. I was just like, I just, 
ophthalmologized everything. My whole bedroom was it was basically an ophthalmologist clinic. Do you know what an ophthalmologist does, Matt? <laughs> no idea. You don't know, do you? No. It's an eye man. He yeah, became an eye man. Like, oh, I was yeah. an eye man. He was an eye man. Yeah, right. Uh, but he didn't like he didn't like living there, um, as you found Matt after your rebellious <laughs> teenage years. After you tore down your, those posters of eye tism. diseases yeah. all around the world, yeah, replaced them with put tism. Your tism, tism, back yep. up. tism back but up of course, again. You are quite. I mean, in the end, maybe that's why I like tism so much because all you can see is their eyes. <laughs> they wear they wear masks. masks. And you're an eye man. And I'm an eye man. I've always been an eye man. What color are my eyes? Blue. <laughs> Green, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say blue. Blue, green. Green. Yes. Fuck! I thought it was a fifty-fifty question. And then you threw green into the works. Well, you think you use only blue and brown options? Yeah, They're, I forgot about it's green. It's a bluey green. It's a bluey green. I'm bluey also green. wearing blue, which makes them look bluer. This can all get. Cut. Dave's got beautiful Dave's baby blues. Dave's got gorgeous blues. eyes. Beautiful Thank baby you. blues. You've got good eyes too. You've got beautiful blue eyes. My eyes are my best thing, physically. Physically. Um, you know, outside. If you were going to count other like metaphysical stuff, then it'd be like. You know, second or third. What's number one? My brain. Name a metaphysical thing and I'll tell you. Have you got toes that do strange things? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I had a sneaking suspicion. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, Doyle didn't like being an ophthalmologist. We didn't like living in Vienna overseas. He didn't like it there. So he returned to England to be an ophthalmologist on his own account, where according to his own biography... Not a single patient ever came through his door. So oh, he set up God. a practice to be an eye man. No one ever came in, which uh, as an eye doctor, he was very unpopular. But that gave him a lot of time to write because he could write all day long. <laughs> no one. Imagine setting up a business and no one ever comes in. Yeah, no one bothers you. That's great. That sounds so You probably good. get so much work done without any work to do. It'd be great. Bloody hell. The dream. What a like that seems crazy. But no one, an eye doctor, and also he's he's quite a famous author at this time. I will say, no one ever decides to World visit famous. or bother. Maybe it's too bother. intimidating. Yeah, that does sound very weird. I mean, maybe people are like, I, like I'm a fan of your little books, mate, but I'm not going to trust you with my eyes. I need yeah. them to see. Uh, he began writing short stories about homes in this uh, now abundant extra time that he has, mm. and they were published in the Strand magazine, which is very, they were very, very popular, these short stories. This collaboration lasted for decades and was instrumental in making the author, the magazine and the artist, world famous. After nearly dying from the flu in 1891, Doyle decided that he'd been foolish to try and balance a medical and writing career and gave up medicine for good. Wow. He's like, I'm going to be a writer now, even though he'd already been a writer because no one came to his doctor's practice. So, yeah. yeah, when he... It's weird that he gave up medicine after he totally failed at it. No, yeah, it's not for me. No, I think the people decided that, mate, already. Yeah, when no one knocked on your door. And... I know, it's like it's like someone going, you don't fire me. Yeah, I quit. I quit. Yeah, I think we fired you, buddy. Jog on. Jog on. 
But usually it would be the other way around, though, wouldn't it? You'd try your hand at being an author and then you're like, well, I've got to get a day job. But yeah. he quit the day job to do the very creative. <laughs> that is, That would very rarely happen. That you get rejected for something you've trained at university for four He's years. Telling but his parents and like a well sought after career. I just too. want to be like a doctor. No one wants me. I'll have to be a world famous, really rich author. His parents like, uh, look, we support you in your little doctor folly <laughs> idea, but we want you to have a sensible backup plan. Being a world famous. <laughs> Come on, just create some writer. sort of literary detective. Yeah, that's we, all I ask. Just have a back. Come on, have a backup. That have for a safety. Us. We just want to say to Hey, you probably won't need it. You'll probably be really successful. But, you know, only one in 1,000 doctors become wealthy from their profession. <laughs> Look at the stats. Writers, that's a surefire thing. Everyone needs a writer. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> See, what I get what you were doing there because it's... Uh... It's the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. We actually... The doctors are well sought after because everybody at some point in their life needs a doctor. Um, Whereas writers... I didn't get what we were doing. There's lots of those. And not all of them are good. Well, that's it. Yeah. I didn't really get yeah. it. I, I knew it felt funny, but I wasn't <laughs> sure why. So, I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. That's quite funny. Filling me in. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Jess. I that's appreciate good. it too. Good comedy. All right. Let's talk about Sherlock Holmes. So, he's created him. He's had him in two novels and started doing in sh- short stories. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is known as a consulting detective. That's mm-hmm. his title in these stories. And he was based upon Doyle's medical lecturer, so it was good that he went to university, otherwise he wouldn't have thought of it. A guy called Dr. Joseph Bell. Bell had amazing observational skills, and as well as being a great doctor, he prided himself on being able to not only diagnose a man or woman's illness just by looking at them, but he'd also tell their uh, nationality and the job they did just from looking at them. Wow. Which, admittedly, in some cases, is much easier than others. If you're coming and you're dressed as the milkman, you're like, Probably a milkman. I got a sneaking suspicion that you are a police officer mm, yeah. trying to trick me. I'm Joseph Bell. Or if you come in, <laughs> come in dressed as an eye doctor, you're like famous author. Famous, exactly. <laughs> no one's seen you in years. Uh, but then Bell would later write to Doyle saying, You yourself are Sherlock Holmes and you well know it. <gasps> That's kind of beautiful. We put that back on him saying... It's just as much of you in there as there is as me. That's, oh. I think that's lovely. Hmm. Uh, Doyle would say that detective stories at the time um, in the 1880s uh, relied on chance to solve crimes, and this really pissed him off because often they'd come across a clue or hmm. take a chance. And he wanted reasoning and the observation that Dr. Joseph Bell used on his patients to be applied to solving crimes and mysteries. And obviously that's a staple 130 years later, but at the time that wasn't being done. Uh, the books place Sherlock Holmes' birth in the year 1854, which makes him five years older than Doyle himself. And uh, Holmes first developed his methods of deduction as an undergraduate. His earliest cases he pursued as an amateur came from fellow university students. Oh. That's where he uh, got his skills. A meeting with a classmate's father led him to uh, adopt detection as a profession, and he spent six years after university as a consultant before financial difficulties led him to accept little old man called Dr. John H. Watson as a fellow lodger in his famous address. Hamish. Ah, I was going to ask if you knew. Is that right? I think it's actually Horatio. It's Hamish. Horatio is a fantastic name. But it's Hamish. Hammer. And do you know... Do you know their famous address where they shared a flat? 221B Baker Street. That is correct. 133 Porter Road, East Bentley. Is that your childhood home? No. It's a fictional address. Oh, it's actually goodness. in Bentley. No, it's not in Bentley. It's uh, 221B Baker, Baker Street, Street, London. That's right. B Baker Street. Like Humphrey B. Bear no, Baker t- 221B. 
B Baker Street. What's the B stand for? B. Like flat B. Barry Baker? Yes. Barry Baker Street, <laughs> London. That's right. Okay. 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 Uh, this is when the, the first public story, A Study in Scarlet, begins. So mm. I don't know if you've seen the first episode of Sherlock, the BBC TV series, uh, which I think you have. Yeah, I have. It also, uh, it also no, starts, I haven't. It also starts with them moving in together as the and novel does. Bloody oh. great. I should well, I watch actually, it? Actually, the, the writers of um, the BBC series Sherlock, one of whom plays Mycroft... The writers of that series are very big Sherlock Holmes fans, obviously, because they wrote a series about it. But I mean, like, they they wanted to really do it justice. So the series is actually very close to the books, or is um, it's just really good adaptation. It's just a great series. You're a you're a big fan of that little really like that it. little known series that you're really championing. There, it's really good. Uh, in the books, uh, Holmes works as a detective for 23 years, with a physician John Watson assisting him for 17 of those years. And all but four of Doyle's 60-odd stories are narrated and told from the perspective of Dr. John Watson. So Watson's pretty much Holmes's biographer in the books. And right. in the series, John Watson has a blog about their... Oh, their, so it's set um, in the modern time. Yeah, it's set in the modern time. Um, and he has a blog about it, so it's sort of from his perspective as well. It's very clever. So, but you said not all of them. Who, who did the other ones? Who narrated the others? Oh, there's a couple told from Holmes's perspective. Oh. Just a... Mix things up a little bit. What, was it totally different, the writing style and stuff in those ones? Well, the, yeah, the perspective's completely different. It's, he's more, he's crazy, full, right? He's a drunk. What's well, a first person more than a third person. He's not person. a drunk. Well, I will. Let's get into this. Watson describes Holmes as a bohemian in his habits and lifestyle. Huh. Of course, Holmes is famous for smoking a pipe, uh, but he occasionally uses addictive drugs, especially in the absence of stimulating cases, because he uh. always wants to keep his mind going. He uses uh, cocaine and morphine, he injects them both, which were both legal in London at the time. I haven't seen all of the BBC show. Does what he use uh, any any, uh, any syringes? Uh, no, I don't think he does in the BBC one. In the um, in the American one, Elementary, he is a uh, um, uh, recovering addict. And that's how Watson, Joan Watson, Lucy Liu, comes into his life because she's his like, sponsor. So oh, okay. she's like there to make sure that he doesn't... Um, you know, go back to the drugs, but then sort of helps him in his crime solving. I, I already dislike that plot. That yeah, sounds it's not that great. Like they've just tried to. Because they've got a the, woman in there. In the BBC one, one, I don't think there's. It doesn't like the the carer thing. Yeah, but in the BBC one, I think they allude to the fact that he may have, you know, been susceptible to that sort of thing in the past. But no, I don't think he uses it at all. Right. Well, he does a little bit in in the books, and uh, so he, he's obviously struggling financially. That's why he gets Watson in the first place. Uh, but he. By the end of his career, he's worked for a lot of powerful people, including uh, the monarchs of Europe, and so he's quite wealthy when he retires because he's been paid a lot of money. Uh, Holmes has many skills and uses amazing disguises to conceal his identity. He's a great actor as well. And uh, will Watson first described Holmes' skill in the first novel, A Study in Scarlet, and uh, he actually has a list of, of these things. He has uh, His knowledge of literature is nil. Knowledge of philosophy Nil. Knowledge of astronomy. Nil. Knowledge of politics. Feeble. Knowledge of botany. Variable. But good when it comes to opium. (laughs) (laughs) Knowledge of geology. Practical but limited. Tells at a glance different soils from each other. Getting better. Knowledge of chemistry. Profound. There we go. He's very good at chemistry. Uh, Knowledge of anatomy. Accurate but unsystematic. 
but I guess that that's coming from a doctor. Doctor dramatic. No, Are you just saying words that rhyme with words? I feel I'm feeling a bit weird. Knowledge of sensational literature. Immense. He appears to know every detail of every horror perpetuated in the century. Yeah, that sounds alright. Um, into some pretty graphic stuff. Plays the violin well. He does, yep. Is an expert boxer and swordsman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very much depicted in the uh, very Robert good, Downey Jr. Very good film. fighter. Also fights with a walking stick a few times in the books. He has a good practical knowledge of British law. There you go, number 11, just to make sure that he is... I mean, why did he go through those things at the start that he had no knowledge of? I mean, just to give you an idea for this character. Like, he is not interested in anything that isn't relevant to... Right. Yeah, so he's... A very, he's but it's a, like he, he could have said one of those a million people, things. It's one of those people that's like a genius when it comes to some AFL things. AFL football. Nil. Like, why didn't he mention... Uh, like, you mentioned botany. Why didn't he mention... You know, like... This uh, is the 1800s, man. Biology. Ah, oh, biology wasn't around in the 1800s. Well, Don't great. get sassy with me. I'll, I'll sass if I want to <laughs> sass. Matt. I'm from Sassafras. <laughs> uh, when it comes to Matt, number one, sass, immense. <laughs> I was wondering, um, does he have like, because he's sort of like a, a weird old school superhero, right? Sort of. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Does he have like an arch nemesis? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I'm about it's to talk about It's his arch nemesis, him. like, it's, it's something like Rick Moratis, right? His name is Professor Moriarty. Moriarty. Yes, I knew it. Uh, so back in the real world, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle... Uh, is uh, he's bored of Sherlock Holmes, and um, a few times he toys with the idea of killing off the character, but his mother sends letters saying, "Don't do that. All of England will crack it hard." And uh, he says, "All right, I okay, won't mummy." Yeah, mummy. But uh, in 1893, he's very, um, very impulsive. Arthur Conan Doyle. He decides to uh, kill off Sherlock Holmes just mm-hmm. two years after becoming a professional writer. So not very long. He's got, and now it's a world famous character. In uh, the short story, The Final Problem, published in December 1893, Sherlock Holmes and his nemesis, Professor Moriarty, plunge to their deaths at the Reichenbach Falls in Switzerland, which is a real place that Doyle had visited. And as a result, there was a big outcry. 20,000 readers cancelled their subscriptions to the Strand magazine. (laughs) So big financial repercussions for the magazine especially. That is amazing. But Doyle was happy, now freed from his medical career and from fictional character that oppressed him and overshadowed what he considered to be his finer work, he immersed himself in even more intensive activity. Uh, this, so he started writing heaps and heaps and heaps, and this frenzied life may have explained why the former physician didn't notice the serious deterioration of his wife's health. Oh. Not very good. By the time he finally became aware of how sick she was, uh, Tui was diagnosed with tuberculosis. No, Tui. She was only given a few months to live, but um, Doyle sprang into action, and due to his care, she was able to live for many more years. So he moved around to different climates, which sounds really good. But uh, writing incessantly, looking after Louisa, no longer a wife, but now a patient, and then losing his father, who finally died in the sanatorium, uh, deeply troubled Conan Doyle. It may have been his resulting depression which caused him to become more and more fascinated by, quote, life beyond the veil. Oh. He had uh, long been attracted to spiritualism, but when he joined the Society of Physical Research, it was considered to be a public declaration of his interests and his belief in the occult. More on that later. Oh. More on that later. Bit of sizzle. That is good sizzle. 
But uh, so he's now looking after his wife, but um, his marriage isn't going so well. It's widely debated as to whether he acted on his feelings, but Doyle fell in love with another woman. Oh. A lady called uh, Jean Leck- Leckie shortly before his wife's death. But Tui's not well. Don't be that I guy. Know. And uh, Jean Leckie's 14 years his junior. During that same time, Conan Doyle wrote a play about Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he wanted to shore up his bank account, so to speak. He was struggling a little bit for money. The play opened in London, was critically panned, but it was a huge financial success. So he's got some more money rolling in. Sweet. Uh, then in 1899, the Boer War started in Southern Africa, and he uh, declared to his horrified family that he was going to go and volunteer. Having written about many battles without the opportunity to test his skills as a soldier in his own eyes. He wanted to prove himself. He felt that this would be his last opportunity to do so. But not surprisingly, being somewhat overweight and at the age of 40, he was deemed unfit to enlist. Funny that. Instead, he volunteered as a ship's doctor and sailed to Africa. So he really wanted to get there. During the few months he spent in Africa, he saw more soldiers and medical staff die of typhoid fever than of war wounds. Hmm. So yeah, he he was made a knight for his work on a non-fiction pamphlet regarding the Boer War. He was made a knight. So you know how he's called Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Yeah. It's not because of Sherlock Holmes. It's because of a pamphlet. It's because of a pamphlet he made on the, the Boer War. <laughs> what That's the great. fuck? Well, it's all, I don't, like the, the whole knight system's a load of shit, right? We've talked about this in the past, I think. Like, it's like um, a lot of musicians and stuff, are, they're knighted for their charity work. It's mm. like, yeah, but it's really because they're the Beatles or whatever, right? I think that this is a similar case. This must be a really amazing pamphlet. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Really he had some sweet clip art on I there. Was say, <laughs> it was a picture. Wow. Well, the prince who knighted him, it was rumoured at the time, had knighted him because it was rumoured that he was a big fan of Sherlock Holmes and he hoped that by knighting him that he would inspire him to write more Sherlock Why Holmes stories. Why not just stories? say, hey, can you write some more Sherlock Holmes stories? It's me, a, a, a member of the royal family. Do it. I'll knight you if you do. Not Jeez. united anyway. Hopefully you'd do it just in case. Yeah. Doyle returned to England and uh, didn't start writing it. He ran for Parliament. Oh, my God. But he was not elected. This guy would be so frustrating to be no, friends with or married around to. All yeah. the time. Why doesn't he have a biopic? Sounds like a great movie. He sounds exhausting. He, oh, he sounds definitely like is. Forrest Gump or something. Yeah. He's done a bit of everything. Although Forrest, Forrest Gump, Gump is was lovable. successful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did well. In 1901, after an eight-year hiatus, Doyle brought Sherlock Holmes back in the novel The Hound of the Baskervilles, Mm. Uh, and it was a massive success. But uh, in his personal life, writing, looking after Louisa, seeing Jean Leckie, the other lady, as discreetly as possible, Mm -mm. playing golf, driving fast cars, floating in the sky in hot air balloons, flying in early archaic and rather frightening aeroplanes, spending time on muscle development, as bodybuilding used to be called at the time. Muscle development. Muscle development. Uh, Doyle was active, but not really contented. Oh, when I I was surprised, I was surprised when he said fast cars. I didn't realize fast cars were fast around. Cars. Well, he was uh, without ever having driven one before because he was quite wealthy at the time. He's one of the first people in England to ever buy a car. Wow, that's amazing. Just because he had money to splash around, and he competed in a couple of rallies as well, really oh, early yeah. on, like in 1911, really early on. Yeah, wow. sick. I guess. But it's not enough for him. <laughs> His lingering deep desire for public service made him go for a second attempt at politics Jesus in 1906. Christ. But desp- even despite his fame, he lost the election once more. Jeez, he's just, they, they, 
don't like anything about him apart from one of his characters. Like, come on, just keep doing Sherlock. It's all we want. The character he doesn't like. That's the only thing anyone likes about him. That would be so frustrating. It would be hard, especially yeah. And also, you—that's the thing that's paying for all your other stuff as well. Yeah, so you got to keep doing (laughs) it. Keep doing it to pay for your your adventures. After Louisa died in his arms on the 4th of July, 1906, Doyle slipped in a debilitating state of depression lasting many months. But finally, after nine years of a secret courtship, Doyle married Jean Leckie, very publicly in front of 250 guests, uh, a year later in 1907. They had had three children, adding to his two from his first marriage. So five children all up. Mm. Then the First World War broke out in 1914, and being the adventurer, he offered to enlist, but being 55 years old at this time, he was too old. (laughs) That's my fucking head. Also, he got you were married too old like, at 40. No, now it's 15 years and he's like, I'll do it. He got married in like his mid to late 40s, remarried, and then had three more kids. Yeah. What a life. What a li- I know, he's, he's always going. Oh. Uh, he was told to, that he was too old, but when the Navy lost more than a thousand lives in a single day, his brilliant mind, never at rest, Doyle made suggestions to the war office to provide inflatable rubber belts and inflatable lifeboats, which subsequently saved a lot of people in the war. The fuck? He invented those? Well, he, said, he suggested that they would really help out. Most government officials found him irritating at best. One of the exceptions was Winston Churchill, who wrote back to him and thanked him for his ideas. Far out. I find him irritating. You find him irritating? He's just annoying. He does feel like an annoying... Imagine mom, if you knew just... He's a mama's boy. Oh, he's a mama's boy. Imagine, though, if you're sort of in an, a circle of friends that he's kind of a part of, and you're, like, having a nice party at somebody's house and then he turns up you're like fucking Doyle's he's the one that here. comes along as a package deal yeah yeah and you're like oh, I hate oh, this package deal guys I just wanted Oscar Wilde to come and he brought his mate uh, yeah hey Arthur good to see you man oh, okay you're talking like, you're already talking it's kind of like this podcast and yeah me <laughs> <laughs> well I'm a fan of the guy I think he's he just He's got a, th- a thirst for life, which uh, he showed again when he was writing a book which was going to be called The British Campaign in France and Flanders about World War One. He was given permission to uh, visit uh, the British and French fronts in 1916, and the author was never able to forget the horrors of what he saw. So he went to war, but he just wasn't shooting. As I mentioned earlier, following the death of his wife in 1906, and then uh, the death of his son Kingsley oh. during the First World War, who'd been part of it and then developed an illness and died. Oh, no. And the deaths of his brothers, his two brothers-in-laws, and his two nephews. Oh, jeez. A lot of people, sadly in England, a lot of people, um, young men died in the First World War, obviously. Uh, He sank into a deep depression. He found solace supporting spiritualism and its attempts to find proof of existence beyond the grave, and he became obsessed with it. Okay. So I said more on the occult, and here it is. Whilst researching the topic of fairies, he came across some pictures belonging belonging to a family in... uh, Cottingley, which is in rural Yorkshire, which are known to history as the Cottingley Fairies. These images seem to show several small fairies dancing in the presence of two teenage girls. Conan Doyle championed the photos as evidence that fairies existed and eventually included them in a 1922 book, The Coming of Fairies. Uh, (laughs) Is it porn? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Possibly. Uh, decades later, the two girls in the photos admitted that they were obviously fake, but uh, Doyle at the time was obsessed <laughs> with it. He spent um, close to a million dollars 
Sorry? A million dollars promoting uh, the book The Coming of Fairies to try and prove that fairies existed. Oh, my God. The, it sounds so the girls in the photos were like... Nah. They're like, oh, man, like, we thought it was a bit of fun. I feel so bad. Oh, no. <laughs> we really didn't think anyone was actually going to... Oh, my God. seriously. No, oh. it's clearly... And now that guy that invented Sherlock Holmes spent a million dollars... I can't say that it's fake. Oh, He's ugh. exhausting. <laughs> Absolutely. Fairies. Uh, in what a time to be alive where you could believe that fairies were real. Or was it seen as being a bit... It was seen a bit, but some people were really interested in proving that it existed. This is only the 1920s, so in a, in a century that we have all been alive in. So it's not, that, it's not like it's 2,000 years ago when yeah, people haven't seen that's anything. That's amazing. I can't believe this yeah, guy. This is like a, a medical man, very famous. He's intelligent. Really intelligent. But in, in some ways. Also very dumb. But really? I know people like that. Uh, in 1919, uh, a magician who was famous at the time stayed to seance at, uh, at Doyle's flat in Bloomsbury. Uh, Doyle attended the seance in his flat, obviously, and declared the clairvoyance <laughs> to be genuine. <sighs> Doyle was friends for a time also with Harry Houdini, who I'm sure you've heard of, Ooh. the American magician, who was you know, the most famous magician probably ever, who himself became a prominent opponent of the spiritualist movement. He would obviously do these magic tricks, but then he would say, hey, it's all a trick, and anyone who says that it's not a trick is a liar. Wow. Uh, although uh, Houdini insisted that spiritualist mediums employed trickery and, and constantly exposed people as frauds, and because he's a magician, he would explain how they were doing it. Doyle became convinced that Houdini himself possessed supernatural powers and was hiding something. Houdini performed an impressive trick at Doyle's home. Houdini assured Doyle that the trick was pure illusion and that he was trying to prove a point that Doyle not endorsing the phenomena. He was saying, hey, I'm doing this to prove to you that it's fake. But Doyle refused to believe that it was a trick and the two very publicly fell out with each other. Oh, God. So Doyle was like, no, you're lying, mate. You are hiding magic from me. Oh, so he's, he's a bit not. Quite right. Well, I think Jesus, that he's, took you way too long to say. He's had a lot of uh, a lot of death in his family, and I think it's sort of sort of sending. Don't him. stand up for him. He's an idiot. Well, I think he's just nah, sort of. I've turned on him. He's an idiot. Lost it a little bit. Yes, don't turn. I've turned. That's not like you. <laughs> uh, Doyle continually praised and championed famous mystics who were repeatedly exposed or publicly admitted that they were frauds. So it's not his image is not looking too good because he keeps saying, "No, nah, Matt Stewart, he's definitely magical." And then you come out two weeks later and say, "No, nah, I'm not. Uh, oh. It was just a trick." It's a trick. It's just a show. It's a trick. <sighs> that's what that's what he would say, though, isn't it? He doesn't want you all to know exactly. that he's that's, magic. That's sort of the attitude he had towards Houdini here. After 1918, because of his deepening involvement into the occult, Conan Doyle wrote very little fiction writing arduously about spiritualism instead. So he would just write... He was a hard worker, so he would write dozens of books about spiritualism. Uh, subsequent trips to America, Australia, and to Africa, accompanied by his wife and three children, were also on spiritual crusades and to give uh, public talks oh boy. on spiritualism. He's become the worst. As years went by, having spent uh, millions of dollars or millions of pounds in the pursuit of his dreams, Conan Doyle was faced with the necessity to earn more money. Yay. He uh, published books about his other famous character. Have you heard of Professor Challenger? No. This is a famous novel called The Lost World. Oh, I do know the lo- I recognize The Lost World. But not from Jurassic Park. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, he wrote um, tw- 12 more short Sherlock Holmes stories. <laughs> uh, he wrote 12 more short Sherlock Holmes stories in the 1920s for more money. But uh, people in- 
increasingly talked about how they were not as good as they used to be. And he would publicly say, publicly say, hey, when I first started doing this, no one knew the kind of character he was, and now people started guessing the endings and stuff. Because once yeah. you've written 60 short stories, it's sort of hard to keep thinking of twists. Yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle died on July 7th, 1930. He was holding a flower at the oh, time. He what kind of flower? Come on, I'm Dave. afraid I don't know. Sunflower. So, yeah, let's probably. go with sunflower. He uh, collapsed in his garden, clutching his, uh, his heart with one hand and holding a flower in the other. His last words to her were his wife. He whispered to her, you are wonderful. <laughs> it's a great final line. That is a lovely nice. last line. It's bloody, bloody nice. All and, right, um, now I'm back on board. He's great. And uh, this is how I came onto the topic, and I, I'm, I can't confirm nor deny this, but I remember my um, family went to England when I was about 11. Did you do this also, Jess? Because we apparently go on the same no, holidays. No, I, I had to wait until I was 23 and purchased my own ticket. So. Oh, there you go. No, well, I was very fortunate enough to, uh, to uh, have a family holiday paid for by my mum's uncle died and left money, and he always loved travel, and he left money saying... Go travelling. Spend this on travel. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Great. Yeah, that's nice. And we went to... Uh, we saw where Sherlock... I mean, Arthur Conan Doyle, pardon me. He was confused with Sherlock Holmes throughout yeah. his whole life and that pissed him off to a great, great extent. Uh, and we saw the, the grave where Conan Doyle was buried, and, uh, which is very exciting for my for mum, my mum, who's a big um, mystery fan, and her father, also a big, big mystery fan. But at the time, the, I remember there was a tour guide and they told us that uh, there's this big rumour that because of his spiritualism, he was actually buried vertically, standing up. Rather than lying oh. down. But I couldn't find anywhere. There's rumours online, but I couldn't find anywhere that confirmed nor denied that. That's so what, weird. So what does weird. that do for your... S- it's just better feng shui. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Maybe you'll come back to life or something. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I, just, I just that's always remember, I remember that and I always thought that was quite strange and that's sort of what got me onto the topic because I remember that he went a little bit crazy later in life. So I just wanted to research that. And uh, we come to the end of the show with some... Fun facts. Oh, Yay! you don't always do fun facts. I know, this but uh, there's, there's a few here. First of all, we'll do some Doyle fun facts and then some Sherlock Holmes fun facts. Great. Uh, the ones about Arthur Conan Doyle was that he was uh, very into sport mm-hmm. as well as his adventuring. So we have some sporting fun facts about Arthur Conan Doyle. Because uh, he was a sporting pioneer. He was uh, first as a motorist. I reported before that he bought a car before he could even drive. And uh, that rally I talked about before, in 1911, he uh, went on the Prince Henry Tour, an international road competition organised by then Prince Henry of Prussia to pit English cars against German ones. So there you go. He did a lot of... He entered a rally before he could even drive. Conan Doyle was also on a, uh, a famous cricket team with some other famous people. Peter Pan writer J.M. Barry was Ooh. on the cricket team. Uh, Winnie the Pooh creator A.A. A. Mill oh, was cool. on the team. So he also took a first-class wicket as a bowler. And this, the scalp of none other than, a, which is a very famous cricketer, W.G. Grace. Oh. Yes, I Do you know, know W.G. Grace. Yeah, so he took him. He Legendary bowled, cricketer. He bowled him out in a first-class really? match. That's So he's ridiculous. really good. Uh, under a, the pseudonym A.C. Smith, the writer played as a goalkeeper for an amateur football side, Portsmouth Association Football Club, a precursor to the modern Portsmouth FC. I've seen them play live. There you go. So he was on a very early version of their team. Really? God, he's a he guy. popularised skiing in Europe. Okay. See, this is what people got done pre the internet. <laughs> you know, so like they good. just did shit with their days. Yeah, <laughs> this is, this guy sounds like the most ridiculous bullshit person ever. <laughs> I don't believe in him. See, he moved, <laughs> he's not real. He's more fictional than Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah. He moved to Switzerland in 1893. Uh, for Wait, the Mount- did you say invented skiing? <laughs> no, he, he, po- he didn't. Inv- he he popularised it amongst okay. 
<laughs> he invented the moon. <laughs> no, so, but I'm, I'm drawing one. a line there. <laughs> he moved to Switzerland in 1893. The mountaineer was good for his wife to his health. Sure. Uh, he ma- mastered the basics of skiing with uh, the help of some locals who had uh, taken up to practicing the sport after dark to being avoid to avoid being teased by the townsfolk who made fun of them. What? Uh, uh, Doyle was the first Englishman to document the thrill of skiing. He wrote, uh, You let yourself go, getting as near to flying as an any earthman man can. In that glorious air, it is a delightful experience. <laughs> Doyle correctly predicted that in the future, hundreds of Englishmen would come to Switzerland for the skiing season, which they now do. Wow. There you go. So <laughs> he invented very, skiing. He practically invented skiing amongst Bloody English people. Hell. All right, then we have Sherlock Holmes fun facts. Yes. Uh, we'll Let's start, see how many of them the stats. I know. Uh, so there was four novels and 56... 56. 56. 56. <laughs> yes, I am Sean Connery. I'm Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> uh, he wrote four novels and 56 short stories starring Sherlock Holmes. That's a lot. This, these are the more fun facts. Uh, Sherlock Holmes Museum is actually on Baker Street in London. And it is officially listed as 221B Baker Street. So if you write a letter, it will go there. But it is, in fact, 239 Baker Street. Disappointing. Because that's the building they could get. But then the mail people, because it's such a tourist attraction, change the address. So if you go there, it's 237, 221, 239. It's very, very confusing. Uh, But when Doyle chose the address, uh, 221 didn't even exist at the time. So he created it as a fictional address. He just chose a number out of thin air. Uh, but Imagine they... if it was just 221 Baker Street. It really needs the B. The B sounds cool, doesn't it? 221B. Even though that obviously means it's like, what, a sublet. Yeah. And yeah. it is. They've got Mrs. Hudson downstairs and she's delightful. That is true. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes is never described as wearing a deerstalker hat, even though you all know him as, as a deerstalker. Uh, he was described as wearing a hat. Uh, but he's pictured in official illustrations that would go in the magazines and stuff with the deerstalker. So that's mm. where that image came from. Mm-hmm. But speaking of uh, the images, Sidney Padgett drew most of the illustrations of Holmes that accompanied the, the short stories that Holmes appeared in. So it would go in the magazine that have a picture of him. Uh, but uh, Sidney got the job by chance. Doyle sent a letter to his brother Walter, who was also an artist, asking him to do the illustrations. Sidney opened the letter by mistake but still took the commission. Nice. And to make things worse, he based his illustrations on his brother, Walter. Oh, brutal. brutal. So he stole his job, then drew his brother. Not nice. Holmes often said uh, in the books, elementary and my dear Watson, but never elementary, my dear Watson, together. Ah. There you go. Sherlock Holmes used uh, fingerprints to identify an ass- assailant before any real police force in the world did. Oh, that's cool. Apparently not. Look at Matt's face. Not impressed cool? at all. It's very cool. <laughs> he practically invented fingerprints, man. <laughs> no, that's very cool. All the, all the kids are doing it now. <laughs> uh, Guinness World Records lists Sherlock Holmes as the most betrayed movie character in history. I thought for a second he said most betrayed. And I was like, okay. Oh. Portrayed. Portrayed. Do enunciate. As of 2012, <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes has appeared in 254 films. Wow. I'm going to read a list to round things off of people that have played Sherlock Holmes, and it's quite the list. Obviously, we have Charlie Sheen Jr. Yes. Also known as Robert Downey Jr. We have who also Robert played Charlie, uh, Charlie Chaplin. He did too. Mm. There you go. That is true. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. Ian McKellen's had a go. Of course he has. He'd be great. Michael Caine. Has had a oh, Can you no, imagine Michael? I don't know how I feel about that. Hello. 
Lamborghini then. Elementary, my dear Watson. Watson. You're only meant to blow the bloody doors off. Michael Caine. (laughs) (laughs) He does quotes from his other movies. (laughs) 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 All right, Batman. All right, Master Wayne. Master Uh, Wayne. Also, having you go, imagine these people. We've got uh, Christopher Lee. Oh. Very good. Uh, Roger Moore. Oh, so... Okay, yep. John Cleese. Oh, no. Uh, Doctor Who's Tom Baker. Christopher Plummer. Baker Street. Comedian David Mitchell. Australian Richard... David Mitchell? Yeah, David Mitchell. He'd be a pretty good one. Oh, okay. Uh, Same with John Cleese then? Or was he on stage? He was in like a mini movie thing, yeah. Mini movie. Uh, Australian Richard Roxburgh. Oh, yeah, he'd be good. Peter Rake. You guys watch Rake? Yeah, the Rake guy, that's right. I love Rake. Fucking Uh, love it. He was a great Sherlock. Uh, Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Peter Cook, the very famous oh, comedian. Wow. Orson Welles. Jesus. And uh, my favourite, and I thought most surprising, Leonard Nimoy. Ah. Oh. In, was it in space? <laughs> Sherlock yeah, in space. It was called Sherlock in space. I found that very amazing to imagine, Leonard Nimoy. So that is the end of uh, my episode on uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. Raconteur, adventurer, skier, spiritualist, writer, philanderer, possibly... I man, you say that. I man, of course. Mm-hmm. And, most uh, famous role. I in man, obviously, also played by Charlie Sheen Jr. <laughs> it all comes together. It all, it comes, all together. comes together. So there you go. That is uh, him and Sherlock Holmes. That was great, Dave. Real good, as always, because you do the best ones, even yeah. though you're not the best person. Well, thank you very much. I hope I hope that was okay. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Is just cool. Yeah. It's just a cool Well, I'm going to have to... Is it going to be too much of a commitment for me to start watching the TV show? No, not at all. It's no, because there's not that many of them. I mean, they're, cause they're very... They're long. They're, well, they're like movie-length episodes, but there's only three episodes a season. Oh, okay. I could do that. How many seasons? Three. Oh. Three? Sweet. Three, I think, and three. also that extra movie that I haven't seen that they oh, did. I haven't seen that the either. Cin- they I released it the fourth. But at yeah, the um, cinema. Brilliant. Right. Yeah, and, it's really great. And uh, Martin Freeman is an excellent Watson. I really like him as Watson. And like, there's times where somebody calls Sherlock a psychopath and he's like, high-functioning sociopath, because that's what he is. He crazy. He crazy, but he cool. He cool he crazy. He crazy, but cool. Man, he's so, so cool. Uh, awesome. Thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. If you did enjoy the show, it's uh, we haven't said this in a while, but if you want to review us on iTunes, that helps us I don't know, get up in the ranking so more people can discover us. Man, there's been some fucking funny reviews. Oh, and also it makes us smile when uh, there's some hilarity that goes into the reviews. Mm. Some really funny ones. Uh, appreciate yeah. that, all the five-star ones especially. Yeah, uh, oh, we, we appreciate the five-stars more than the two-star one. Yeah, I get, probably that probably went without saying. Yeah, if you're going to give us a two-star, fuck off. But what if you just... How have you come this far? You've listened to an hour of us talk. Yeah, just fuck right off. Just furious the whole way through. Yeah, oh, God. When I get to the end of this hour, I'm going to give this two-star. Just don't. Just fuck off. I really can't reiterate that enough. She can't. We don't want you. Fuck off. Great. I, I feel like uh, antagonizing someone who's already prepared to give you two stars probably just results in a give one, us one star then. review. Give us one then, you shithead. I don't no. care. I do no. care. I don't. I care. I don't care. <laughs> um, no, I do. Feel, I'm delightful. I'm, I'm somewhere between the two of you. You care a bit? Care a bit. All right. Cool. I'm playing it cool. <laughs> You are cool. Uh, but uh, you can also get in contact with us uh, via Facebook. People have been sort of messaging the page, which is cool. Do go on. You can also email us. Do go on pod at gmail.com. And uh, you can get on Twitter. 
and tweet about or at the show at do go on pod you can make some suggestions for us what we're what we're yeah. going to talk about we genuinely enjoy hearing from you guys yeah it's cool it's real cool we've been out and about during the comedy festival i've met a couple of people just on the street flyering that was that was very nice very nice but uh yeah don't miss out uh we'll be back next week with a an episode from you matthew i hope you got your topic ready to go yeah, well, I'm going to get a week. I'll figure it out. You work it all out. Well, we'll see you then and uh, goodbye. I'm, go- I'm going into the hat. That's where I'm getting it. Oh, yeah. Are you going to go into the hat? I'm going into the hat. Laters. Laters, everyone. Bye. Bye.